Good morning, everyone. Thank you for popping into the Daily Drop-In Morning Show where, where the Teach Better team is live every single morning, Monday through Friday at 7 a.m. Eastern. It is Tuesday, April 19th, and we are so excited to not only get into our topic, not only get into our great holidays of the day and document a moment of gratitude in our Happy Feed app, but also welcome a very familiar face to the show. Tom Murray is here. We have a ton that we're going to be able to talk about, especially those important leadership topics. So it's time to go fill up your coffee. Let's get ready for an incredible Tuesday, and we'll be right back. Good morning, good morning. How are you? I'm uh, wondering if I'm like the last educator left, I'm guessing. You know, if you, if you brought me on the show, you've probably had thousands and thousands of others prior, so. Okay, you can say <laughs> that and, and joke all you want, but even on the show, my face was so funny when I announced that you were going to be on this morning. So people know the secret that I'm so stoked that you're here. <laughs> oh, well, I'm excited to be here. Excited. Good morning. East Coast, uh, 7 a.m. Your time, like 6 a.m. So it's exciting to uh, excited to be here and kick off the day. Uh, it's so good. I appreciate you getting up bright, bright and early and starting your morning with us. I know every single day for you looks different because you're constantly working with educational leaders. I just can't believe that we found a day that you are home and ready to talk shop. So I'm a fan. Awesome. Well, I'm glad to be here. Thanks. It'll be so good. For um, a few educators in our crew that may not be connected to you, which just seems so impossible. I've been such a fan and advocate for the work that you're doing for so long, but maybe we have a, a new face to education this morning that hasn't pulled the trigger on following you and consuming your content. Would you share a little bit about what you do? Yeah, absolutely. So in my day job, I help to lead Future Ready Schools, bipartisan nonprofit, <clears throat> excuse me, out of Washington, D.C. So some of my time is spent on the Hill with the Senate, the Congress, the White House, just little bits of that. I don't want to do the federal policy stuff. I want to work with school and district leaders. So virtually every day I'm working with superintendents, principals, um, instructional coaches, librarians, school board members all across the board and lots of fun doing that. So that's kind of my day job. I, um, I've been doing that for seven years now, which blows my mind because it feels like just yesterday I was a school and district leader in Pennsylvania before getting recruited to go to Washington, D.C. So we also lead things like Digital Learning Day. That's one of our babies and those kinds of things, which again, is not do digital in one day. It's a celebration of the great stuff that's happening every day in our schools. So each February we get to celebrate that and I get to lead parts of that as well. But I'm also an author, a speaker. Uh, I'll be on the road for the next eight days coming up talking about my last book, Personal and Authentic, two books prior to that, Learning Transformed. And so I get to do a lot. I get to see a lot. And Ray, what, what gives me the most hope, I think, in, in the work that I get to do, no matter where I go in the country, I connect with amazing educators working so ridiculously hard for kids. Last week, like contrasting, I was in San Diego and Southern West Virginia, like geographically two very different places, but both places filled with amazing educators pouring their lives into other people's kids. So when I'm on the road, that's what keeps me motivated. Mm, I love it. I know that we originally connected, I believe in Wisconsin. I don't, I, I'm like guessing I'm 99% sure and I remember I was with Jeff Car Jeff Gargas and Chad Oshowski. We were with Tiffany Ott as well. And we were sitting in the audience of your keynote. We were listening to you speak. And the entire group that I was with just like kept leaning over back and forth to one another saying, we got to meet this guy. He's the coolest guy ever. <laughs> You know, Ray, like for me, and I appreciate that. I appreciate the shout and uh, the checks in the mail for saying that, by the way, I appreciate that. But, you know, like I get the opportunity and it's 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 really humbling. It is. It's I, I think for me, it's about trying to model humility. You know, I think when people see you standing on a stage in front of sometimes thousands of people, it's easy to to catch a glimpse of like, what's this person really like? Or did they really do that? Or for me, it's all about modeling humility, modeling, modeling vulnerability. So I think in those moments when I have the opportunity to do that kind of stuff, taking a look at like, I will never and I committed probably five or six years ago. I will never stand on a stage and tell people how well I did something. Part of it is because when I'm in the audience and people are doing this the whole time, like it drives me insane. 
right? I Because here's the thing, like I look at it as it's so easy if somebody's standing on a stage and saying like, just do it this way, just do it that way. It's so easy for your mind to naturally say like, well, if I had a principal like that, I could do that. If my superintendent was like that, I could do that. If we had that funding, that PTO, that fill in the blank, we could do that. So the flip side to that for me is modeling vulnerability and just being real. Like people see right through you when you're not being real. So keeping it real, modeling that vulnerability, talking about like, here's when my mindset was off. Like, here's when I really screwed that up. Here was like when I was the problem in that faculty room and sucked the air right out. Right. And I think, you know, for me, when I have the opportunities to do that, keeping it real, modeling humility, modeling vulnerability, I think it gives the encouragement of maybe you're that teacher in the classroom and recognizing like some days are just going to blow up and not be fun and things are going to fall apart because you're human and we work with little humans right and so um, each time i get to do that truly is an honor i never take one of those for granted but it's an opportunity for me to model what i would hope to see if i was sitting in the audience well and i think that comes across so well every time i've heard you speak and and, and even re read your writing you know like consume any of the content you do we actually just pulled out your book yesterday uh, that we have on our bookshelf here, the the content that you're constantly pushing out, I think really resonates with that focus. I, I think that's why our team, our crew here in the Teach Better family loves engaging with you is because we really strive to collect a community of Teach Better family members who are committed to growth, committed to learning, but also committed to normalizing the human the human element of education. And so it's so fun to be able to bring people in or bring familiar faces in and continue to connect with great educators. So I appreciate you being here this morning. It's awesome. Absolutely. Well, thanks for having me. I appreciate it. No, it's great. We have a lot of friends in the comments so far. Great to see you all. Good morning. Good morning. Thank you so much for being able to comment and be a part of the show. A special shout out, of course, to those of you who may not be here live catching this after the fact on Teach Better Talk podcast. We really appreciate you. Tom, before we get into kind of the nitty gritty of all the conversation that we're going to have, how can our community here connect with you? Because I know that you are constantly striving to connect and share with other educators. I'd love to make sure they have an opportunity right off the bat to do that. Yeah, the easiest part is linked off my website, thomasymurray.com. But you can follow me on Twitter at Thomas C. Murray, on Facebook and on Instagram at thomasymurrayedu. And we'd love to connect with you. That's for sure. And there's a lot of information out there. I love your most recent book. Can you tell us a little bit about your most recent book if somebody hasn't picked that up? Yeah, so I'm actually gonna go, if I could, back two books because I wanna contrast something for a moment. Yes. Eric Scheninger and I wrote Learning Transformed for ASCD. It's very, very research to practice. We spent like a year and a half really studying what are the big bucket areas that districts have to transform. For me, it also went hand in hand with Future Ready Schools. Um, Eric leads so much leadership work across the nation with ICLE. I do a lot with Future, I help lead Future Ready Schools. And so going back to that, we wanted a big picture book of like, if we're going to shift systems and practices, not your like in the classroom, use these tools, but more of if I'm a superintendent or a school board looking to shift and invest millions of dollars to shift practices, to shift professional learning, to shift infrastructure, whatever it might be, what are the big bucket areas and what does it really look like from research to practice? You know, what does research talk about from professional learning? What walks, works and what doesn't? What does it look like from community engagement? What works, what doesn't? And so that was very much this kind of high level um, really meant for district level leaders on systems change, right? And so I contrast that because my last book, Personal and Authentic, is almost the opposite of that. It was meant to really go hand in hand. Learning transformed, very research, very evidence-based, which also makes it a lot drier in that sense. Personal and Authentic, to get to your question, is a lot of story and narrative. Truly putting my heart out on the table on I really had believed during this because I, I released it two months prior to COVID, right? Which is probably like the worst time ever to release a book, right? And because nobody's looking for like, hey, can I also do this during COVID? Because I don't have enough going on as a teacher. Like that was nobody doing that. But I think why people have connected with it so well is it's really about the human side of the work. I felt, you know, during No Child Left Behind, we had become so like data, data, data. And data is an important part of the work we do, but it is certainly not all we do. And it certainly doesn't paint the full picture. Now, as a former district level leader, as a former principal, there's times we're gonna use data, but data without understanding the story 
And we make some really bad decisions for kids if we're not careful. And so part of it is leveraging the narrative and the story to help people recenter on why we do what we do. It's the relationships, it's the culture, it's the human side of the work. One of the stories that I talk about, <clears throat> excuse me for that, is um, the notion of the importance of the hidden stories within. I talk about my daughter's story and I will tell you, I can, every time I do it, you know, on, on a, whether it's on a stage, workshop, whatever it might be, I can't do it without getting tears in my eyes because it's just so amazingly personal for me when I talk about my daughter's story. And I, you know, one of the things when I get to speak, I'll often put data on a screen and I'll say, just as an example here with this story, I'll say, you know, you've got a child that's coming to your school. They're coming to your classroom. They're starting tomorrow. They're coming in from out of state in the last 14, in the, in the last 14 months, they've been absent 35 times in the last 14 months, they've been tardy 20 times. What judgments might people make? Now, in personal and authentic, I actually do it in this opposite way. But having done that, I, doing that in a workshop, I can tell you all the answers people are going to say. And you know what they're going to say. You know, kids lazy. Parents don't care. They don't value education. Maybe they're up all night. Maybe they're working. Maybe she's pregnant. Maybe there's bullying. Maybe they're, And we go through all these things that we've seen cases of, right? And then I share the next slide. And it's a picture of my little girl. And I say, like, what if I told you that that's my daughter's data? And I've done that with thousands of people in the room and it goes silent. Of course, then I joke like parents are a mess, right? Like, yeah, that's me. Thanks for the shout. I appreciate you thinking of me, right? But the flip side is then I tell part of her story and I share how like, what if every single one of those absences I told you it was because she was two hours from our home undergoing food allergy therapy as the first child in the Northeast to undergo it for sesame? Like, what if I told you in every single one of those, she would say, mommy or daddy, I really wish I could be in school today. Like, what if I told you like 19 of those 20 tardies, she was two hours from our home undergoing the therapy. She'd come back to one o'clock in the afternoon after therapy that morning. And I'm so grateful giving a shout out to her second grade teacher, Mrs. Thomas, her third grade teacher, Mr. Moyer. When she would come back into the classroom on those Monday afternoons, it wasn't like, Paisley, here's the five things you missed again this morning. It was simply Paisley. We're, we're so glad you're here. And I share that because I talk about the hidden stories within because the judgments we would make about my little girl, like all the things that people say are honestly the opposite of who she is. She's a strong student. People say, well, they're probably academically behind. That's not her. Parents don't care. That's not her. She's disconnected from school. No, no, no. She loves school. But the reason I share that is one example, because the story matters every single time. And we can look at just that data and you could sit in some data team meeting and be like, we need interventions here. Parents aren't doing this. They're not doing that. And make all these judgments and be completely wrong. So how do we get to know the stories of our kids, right? Now that example, and I share that with my little girl's permission, partially to heighten alerts on food allergy awareness and all those things, because then I share the other part of the story. And I talk about how, you know, after, because of those 14 months, because of those 35 days absent, my little girl who we've almost lost multiple times because of like cross-contamination levels of sesame, like breads, crackers. So by the way, you know, like when we're like asking about the classroom party, because half the pretzels could have killed her in about a 40 minute period, not being dramatic, like accurate data. She literally, she, she now has about 2000 seeds of sesame every single day to keep her safe in her daily dose. And I share that because the story matters. Like if my little girl came here and sat on my lap and joined me right here, part of the reason I share that as part of the example of personal and authentic, you would look at her and have no idea. Mm -hmm. Like everything that I just told you, you would have no idea. You can't see it. So I call it the hidden stories within. And Ray, that's the thing. When I talk about it, when I get to talk to adults, it's just one example from personal and authentic, because then I'll turn that and say, here's the thing. I'm not just talking about our kids. I'm talking about you because every teacher has a story on their heart today. And it doesn't have to be negative. Like it can be a real positive. Maybe next weekend's your anniversary and you're super excited because you're going away ki like kid free first time in two years. And here's the thing. Nobody else here knows, but it's on your heart. and You're thinking about it. It's impacting your mood. It's impacting your lens. But the flip side, maybe it's a struggle for you today. Like maybe here you are getting up this morning and to be honest, your heart is really heavy because you've had a recent loss in your family or you know there's only a few amount of months left with that grandparent or whatever it might be. And it's just something that's constantly consuming who you are and it impacts your lens, right? It impacts your mood. It impacts how you see the world. It impacts sometimes it feels like every single breath. It can feel that heavy. And then sometimes when we walk to our schools and we go to our schools, like we expect sometimes as administrators that our teachers just check that all at the door, walk in and they're this perfect person for kids that just life just stops when we get there. And we know like that's nonsense. It can't happen. We're human beings. Right. And the same thing happens for our kids. And so part of personal and authentic is looking at it as every student has that story. And when they walk into our classrooms, how do we get to know our kids? 
Let me give you two really quick examples just from my, my daughter's teachers who absolutely love. She's had amazing educators every step of the way. Because sometimes when we talk about hidden, just to give you this one example, people start to naturally think, but yeah, but like we won't always know. And here's the thing, like, of course we won't. You're right. But here's the flip side to that. Do we create an opportunity? Do we create a culture of trust? Do we create an environment where kids want to be, where that connection is so that if they want to, and we're never going to force it, but if they want to, they'll come to you and they'll share. And every teacher knows that feeling when that student comes to you and out of the blue, we're just drop something on your lap and you're like, where did that come from? But here's the thing that shows that they trusted you enough to do it. Or maybe you're a principal and it's a teacher closing the door and the tears start to stream and your first reaction is like, oh no, what are they about to tell me? But they're comfortable enough to do it, mm -hmm. right? And so when we talk about those hidden stories within, it's recognizing every student has a story, every adult has a story. Sometimes those stories are really positive, super exciting, but sometimes let's be real, they're not because life can be really, really hard, especially in a pandemic, especially with trauma and fear and anxiety and all those pieces. And so I share all that and part of just being one of the examples of one of the stories that I share in Personal and Authentic so we forget, we don't forget to focus on the human side of the work, right? And, and when we take a look at those, the stories really do matter every single time. The hidden stories matter. And so sometimes I know that I can be so quickly to judge. You know, I put myself in my back in my first administrative job. I was assistant principal at a middle school at 1,100 middle school kids. Like you want to talk about managing chaos? It's 1,100 middle school kids, right? Sometimes people are like, Tom, how are you not nervous in front of thousands of teachers? And I'm like, because they all have to be there and they're all well-mannered. Put yourself in front of 1,100 middle school kids. It's a different world. Like you want to be a good speaker? Go get in front of 1,100 middle school kids. If you're not bringing it, they're going to tell you you're not bringing it, right? But I share that because the chaos of every one of those days, the chaos of those worlds, but also looking at the stories on their hearts, the stories on our people's hearts, the stories on our, our teachers' hearts. And how do we get to know that? So again, going back to real two really practical examples. Number one, I think back to my daughter's fifth grade teacher. The very first night of school, so save this idea for next year if you're interested, the very first night of school, so they gave parents a homework assignment. They said, moms and dads, here's a homework assignment for you, first night of school. And she said, what makes your child bold and courageous? Mm -hmm. so you can write one sentence or 10 pages. Now, just process that example for a minute, because you know what it also tells parents? I know there's greatness inside your child, mm -hmm. and I can't wait to find it out this year. Like the, the question itself just gives me chills because it's the teacher saying, I know there's greatness in there. Tell me about it. Also, tell me about something awesome about your kid. Why? Recognizing first impressions matter. Recognizing you're giving parents the opportunity. So guess what I wrote about? Like exactly what I just told you about. So literally on day two, my daughter's teacher had insight into why when she would walk into a cafeteria, her anxiety would go up. Why? Because at that time she was still allergic to tree nuts as well. And so her anxiety would go up a little bit, but she understood part of the story. You know why? Because she asked, because she gave an opportunity. Let me give you one more quick, quick practical example. My daughter's sixth grade teacher this year, shout out Mrs. DeLuca, her middle school language arts teacher this year, earlier in the year, had they one of her writing assignments was... If you really knew me, you would know that, dot, dot, dot. Mm. That was the prompt. Loved it. So reason I shared that is because my daughter's a really independent kid. I honestly check almost nothing unless she asks me to. That's just who she is. She does really well. She doesn't need me. She's very independent. And so I share that because she came over after basically publishing it. It was digital, but she felt finished with it. And she said, Daddy, can I show you my essay that I wrote? And I had tears this year, early in the year, as I read it and for the first time watched her in words, like verbalized, but in writing, write down what she had been through and part of her story, part of her journey. It was the first time I had seen it written by her. And she felt comfortable enough to share with her teacher part of her own story. And so I share all that because, again, in that environment, teachers were creating, and those two amazing teachers, by the way, but creating an environment of trust, an environment where she felt like she could, an environment where she didn't feel like she was going to be judged, an environment where she could bring her real authentic self. And so bringing it back to the title of the book, Personal and Authentic, recognizing we all have stories. They're real to us. It just because somebody else doesn't see it or has it other lens doesn't make our experience any less real. But we also have to choose our lens because there's greatness happening each and every day. But keeping it real in the process and recognizing things can be a challenge. Things can be tough, especially in the middle of a pandemic. So bringing it back to the human side of the work matters every single day. Mm, there is so much, Tom, that I am so excited to dive into. And this is why I love having you here. We even have um, our community that are tuning in live with us just 
eating up all this information. I'm so, so appreciative that you're not able, that you're not only able to share these tidbits, these stories with us, but also so much more in our conversation. I'm just so excited to continue to dive into this stuff. I really appreciate you sharing that. Sure. Thanks. You know, as we continue our conversation, I want to keep diving into this passion, this work that you do each and every day to better our educational field. Before we head into our brainstorming, though, we'd love to take a moment to document a moment of gratitude. And even just what you shared, there's so many tidbits that I know so many of us can take away and say, oh, I'm grateful for that. Or, oh, that was such an impactful moment. I'd love to kind of throw it at you as our community maybe along with us documents their moment of gratitude this morning. What is something that you are appreciative or grateful for um, as you know as you start your morning off this today? Wow, I think I could talk about that for a whole hour. I think it's important that we choose our lens and that we have this notion of gratitude. Um, one of the things I'm grateful for, uh, besides some extra sleep last night, because I was getting up early for you today, I was like, I need to go to bed early, and I don't normally normally do that. Um, personally, I'm grateful for my two babies, Paisley and Caden. I think it always centers me when I'm having a rough day or if I'm struggling with that like stress, that anxiety, all that's on my plates. Sometimes like the only thing that brings me back on those on those days, like I might get home. The only thing that brings me back in that moment is looking in the eyes of my little girl, looking in the eyes of my little boy, seeing that smile and recognizing so many things that I'm stressed out about. I need to like reprioritize what is it that matters most and get that order back. It doesn't mean the stressors that I have at work or the stressors that whatever it might be don't matter or they're not important because of course they are. But I'm, I'm grateful for my two babies, Paisley and Caden um, this morning because I just, uh, some moments I had with them last night in the past couple of days just helps recenter uh, in the midst of chaos of the world. Mm, so many more stories to come. We're going to keep diving into all your insight here, Tom. We'll be right back. Thank you for tuning into the Daily Drop-In Morning Show. We have Timothy Murray here with us, and we are already diving into such rich conversation. For those of you who tune into the show frequently, because it's Tuesday morning, we'll continue with our brainstorm bank. Tom, I know that you have this mindset already, but we really love to have this segment every single day for our brainstorm bank to really emphasize the fact that our community never needs to brainstorm on an island. You always have somebody to shoot an idea off to or brainstorm a possible solution. So if any of you are currently thinking through a question that you are trying to find the solution for, whether it be related to supporting a student, supporting a leadership team, or anything in between, feel free to utilize the comments or direct messages so that we here on the show can continue to brainstorm with you. Tom and I don't promise to have all the answers of what we're looking for, but we definitely want to be a part of you finding the solution, either by maybe pointing you in a direction or connecting you with somebody who can help. So as people are utilizing the comments, Tom, we also have a theme this week that I think you're going to have a lot of insight on. Our theme this week specifically has to do with refreshing our practices. And we want to make sure that this is really strategic, right? We don't just want to say, hey, don't forget to get a lot of sleep or hey, don't forget to brush your teeth in the morning. But what can we actually do in April, regardless of where we are in the world in the education space, to refresh the routines that we know are best for us and really what's best for our students, what's best for our staff. So when I say routines, what comes to mind? Wow, we could go. We could go in so many different directions. I know. Let, you let me, yeah, let me start with uh, having an accountability partner would be one um, one thing that I would say could really help with like. I guess I'm jumping to solutions and I didn't answer your question. So let me back up. What do I think about with routines? To actually answer your question, I guess one I would think we have work related pieces. We have family related pieces. I think we just have everyday life related pieces. You're right. Like get up, shower, brush your teeth. Like I do that at least six days a year. No, like at least 365 days a year. That's just who I am. Like I got to do it. Part of it. Cause it wakes me up part of it. Cause I don't feel right. If I'm kind of grungy and all the kind of right. So part of it's like the routines of everyday life, which by the way, do matter. Like how we eat, how we exercise. I'm not saying I'm good at all that stuff. I'm just saying it matters. And like those pieces do matter. The work side, some of those routines, right? 
so many of us, like if you're teaching and watching this, I bet you, you walk in the same door every day. When you go to school, you probably have the same routines. You stop at the mailbox, you pull it out, you walk down, you put your lunch in the fridge of the faculty room. Then you keep going. Then you get down to your office. You unlock your office with your, or your, your classroom with your door. You unlock your door, open up, turn your lights on. Like so many of those things happen over and over and over. One of the things that I'm thinking about, there's this brilliant video out there on moments of awe by Jason Silva. Uh, Silva and what he talks about is when we go through the exact same thing every single day, our brain actually becomes numb to it. And there's reasons we'll want to do things, but it's the exact reason why you'll be doing the same thing you do every single day. You'll have driven 10 miles and like, you'll have that moment of like, oh my gosh, like, how did I get here? Did I just really drive here safely? Cause I don't even remember driving here, right? Your body becomes numb to it and your brain becomes numb to it. So I think part of it at times mess up the routine on purpose, shift practices on purpose, try something new, stop at a different, don't go to Starbucks, go somewhere else. Go. Reason being is like, it kind of messes with your brain signals a little bit because your brain's like, wait, this is different, right? And which can also impact mood, can alter our day. And so we think about it, yes, routines are important, but sometimes I think it's important to kind of change our lens a little bit there as well. And so I think we can look at it from personal and professional. I think looking at it from personal perspective, personal and professional and looking at how to mess it up is a great way to start off this conversation. Because regardless if you're looking at how you're engaging with students or how you're getting your coffee in the morning, the opportunity to be intentional with the choices you're making, I think wakes you up in really understanding why you're choosing to do the practices before you. Yeah, so totally. You're looking at solutions, because I know you were going to go that route and then you stopped oh, yourself. Yeah. What yeah. comes to mind for, for what we can suggest to our community here? Yeah, I think that comes from my natural nature of like, let's stop admiring the problem. Let's just get to some solutions, right? Like, what are we talking about here, right? Yeah. Which I'm not saying is always good because sometimes you have to dive into the depth of it. I am personally not good with that. I'm like, all right, enough admiring the problem. Like, how many times do we talk and talk and talk and talk and talk and sit in meetings and like two years later, we're talking about the same thing. Like, I struggle with that because I'm like, let's go, people. If we're going to still admire it, let's actually fix it. Let's 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 figure this out. So first of all, I started to mention without answering your question and just going down my own little road there was this notion of accountability partners. And I don't mean some big official contract kind of thing. Like, who are the people in your world that love you enough to call you out when you're acting like an idiot? I don't know how else to say it. Yeah. So I'll give you two examples. Two of my best friends are Joe Sanfilippo and Jimmy Casas. I talk to those guys 47 times a day using Voxer. They love me enough that like if I give a presentation and it stinks and they're there, they'll tell me that was not your best. And here's what I noticed. Now, here's the thing. They're not doing it to demean me. They're not doing it to be like, Tom, you stink and kick me when I'm down. They're doing it because they love me enough to be like, you're better than that. Let's talk through that. I got an idea for you because they're also the first ones to say, hey, here's something else you could try. Hey, Tom, here's something that goes with what you talk about often. Why don't you take this? And so when I share that, like we're also willing in that kind of a little accountability group, the three of us to, to also be the person that says, yeah, you know, I spoke to, to this group today and out of 10, I was probably a four. My head just wasn't in it today. Like I, I wasn't my best. I wasn't. We have that just keeping it real because we're not there to impress each other. It's not like out there to say, well, I talked to six more people than you did today. Like, that's not the notion at all. The notion is I love them like my brothers and I will take their feedback because they understand my world. They do things that are very similar to me. And it's not this competitive nature. It's this like, I know that they love me enough to whack me upside the head when I need it, but also to help pick me off the ground when I need that too but also to pat me on the back when things go well and to recognize that. And so I think part of it is we need those people that'll be totally real with you. The people that you completely let your guard down with and literally, I, I could talk to those two about literally anything in my life. And I know that I can trust them with it. And I know that they're going to encourage and I know maybe they've been through some similar things. And so I think we need those people and maybe they're educators for you. Maybe they're not like we walk that line of we talk education stuff just as much as we don't. And we just talk personal stuff. And so when we take that example, we need people in our worlds that will call us out in a loving way, but also will build us up and encourage us. But also be, will be that voice when we're saying, hey, we're struggling. And I can tell you, and I know the three, the two of them would be okay with me sharing. There's days when the three of us are struggling for whatever it might be. Our head's not on straight. We need to pull our head out of the sand. And sometimes uh, we'll, and we will always find ways to do that. Um, keeping each other grounded in the process. If you watch us on social media, it's half of probably just making fun of each other. Why keep each other grounded to have fun, but also those two make me laugh and smile just as much as 
almost anybody on earth. And so um, part of it's having that accountability partner, people that love and care about you that will uh, call you out when needed, but, but love you just the same. That's one. That's one example. That's my first one. No, I love that. And we're going to dive into more here in a second. But as you're looking at, you know, educators this morning, listening as they're getting ready for school or sipping their coffee, or maybe they're driving into work, tuning into the show this morning, if they're looking at this conversation and saying, yes, you know what, I don't have an accountability partner right now. I've, I've struggled with that. I haven't found the right person. Where do you begin to look for that accountability partner? I know sometimes it's tricky. It's kind of like yeah. finding a good friend, right? You can't just like snap your fingers and up oh, your best friend's going to show up that you hadn't met before. So yeah. where can you begin your journey or continue your journey in finding that accountability partner? Well, the three of us joke, joke often like we met online. Um, they swiped right, just so you know. And so just kidding, just kidding. So when we look at that, like the three of us live in complete, well, Jimmy now lives in Pennsylvania, but like we lived in three very different parts of the country, would see each other at conferences and things occasionally, but found ways to stay connected. So number one, like if you're tuning into the show, I think the Teach Better Network, all the things that you have going on, all the professional learning, the podcast, all the stuff, all the great stuff that you are all doing, you instantly are finding people that at least have similar passions to you. They're tuning into your network and connecting their stuff. They obviously care enough to say, hey, I want to grow professionally, so I'm willing to look at something. Well, that's a first check that you're going to have in common. They're an educator that cares about kids. I mean, big assumption there maybe, but I don't think so. Right. So you've at least got things in common. The part that takes time is like, it takes time. I mean, what I just shared with the, with the three of us, I mean, is literally been more than a decade of, you know, spending time together. I know their families, I know their children, right? Like it's not just some, Hey, I'm connected on Twitter. I do a chat every week. And all of a sudden we're magically that close. Like it doesn't, it doesn't go like that. So it takes time. So I think part of the question is find a network or part of the, my answer would be find networks that you're passionate about because then you'll be naturally connected to areas that other people are passionate about. Build those relationships, find those people that, that you have things in common. And then if you care about it enough, invest the time. And if they care about it enough, they'll invest the time too. And if they don't, it wasn't right, right? And that's okay. And the other piece is don't feel it needs to be 100 people. I mean, I gave you two. And there's there's other people that I could share that I could list that are just really top-notch and I'm really close to as well. But I just thought, you know, from, from that end, because that's like an every day, like 40 times a day connecting in those pieces. So I think there's a consistency aspect to it. You know, I can tell you where in the world they are in a given day. Jimmy's hiking in Arizona today, right? Like in making those connections, um, but part of it's because you invest the time. So outside of the Teach Better Network, how's that for promotion, by the way? You didn't set me up. I wanted to say it because I believe it, right? Truly, I believe it. But leveraging social media, the three of us connected originally on Twitter. When Voxer came out, we said, hey, here's a great little tool because it's different than sending DMs. You're hearing the voice, you're hearing tone, you're, you're hearing like real positives, real excitement, real struggles. So that voice aspect of it's really, really huge. But then also using a tool like Voxer where, hey, the three of us, our worlds are crazy. We're traveling all the time, doing stuff all the time that we do it kind of asynchronously, which is great, which is, which is funny. Sometimes we'll say, Hey, let's hop on a call. Sometimes we're all three driving at two o'clock in the morning, like a hundred miles going somewhere. So we'll hop on a call to keep each other awake because we know we've got that same time, but other times it is asynchronous on Voxer and you get to when you can and that kind of thing. So I'd use, uh, you know, things like Twitter, things like Facebook, but also recognizing I'm referencing people that are all across the country. You know, sometimes maybe, Hey, it's somebody in your church that's going to keep you real and saying like, Hey, are your priorities in order? And it's somebody in that like small group at church or whatever it might be. So I think for you, it's finding what's right for you and finding what works for you and recognizing like the way time Tom did it, maybe the total opposite way that you do it. And that's okay. It's finding what works for you. But what I know is as human beings, we're social creatures. As human beings, we can also be really lonely, especially at a time where we've had this notion of like social distancing, which by the way, is like the worst phrase we could have ever, a physical distancing I've understood. But like when we look at things like anxiety, depression, all the things that have really ticked up in the past couple of years, we need other people. We're social creatures. And so whether you're that introvert that just wants those couple other people or that outgoing person, you need other people because the profession that we do, like I say, in personal and authentic, the work is ridiculously hard. The kids are worth it. The families are worth it. But you also are worth it. And you need to be able to connect with other people. So that's another example I'd give. I love that and really appreciate that permission that it takes time to foster those relationships. I think we we give ourselves that permission when we're engaging in a work environment, like, oh, building relationships with colleagues or our staff members uh, or the people in which we serve. It takes time to foster relationships. But sometimes as we get into our own professional growth, we're like, 
why isn't this happening instantaneously? Like I need an accountability partner. So by Friday, I better have one. And the reality is that all this stuff takes time. I love your note also that you connect with these people online because that's how everyone in this community seemingly connected. I love that, you know, when you get into the story of my even meeting the, you know, our owners of the Teach Better team, it was a it was a Twitter chat, right? Like that's how we first engaged with each other. So regardless if you're forming your relationships professionally because they live down the street or because you meet them online, there's so much, so many relationship opportunities to be fostered. So I appreciate that reminder so much. Yeah, Ray, the only thing I'll add to that as well is like, if you really want to foster those relationships, going back to what we talked about first is that you have to keep it real. You know, if I'm here in this, this, this connecting with these few other people to say, like, just to build myself up, you know, to, to try and get connections. So I get more work or if I'm going at it for the wrong reason, it's not going to be authentic. It's not going to be sustainable. It's not going to last. And people eventually see right through it. Right. Yeah. But if I come at it with humility and I'm willing to share my failures as much, if not even more so than the successes we can celebrate as a small team or whatever it might be, um, that's, that's what's going to make it last. So again, it comes down to humility and vulnerability. Mm, so important. You know, as we wrap up this section of our conversation, I'd love to get into a little bit deeper into your suggestions, your soapbox topic. I know there's so many things you speak on, so many different suggestions you have for our community, which is why, friends, I started off this conversation saying you got to go connect with Tom because there's always so much to learn. But if you were to think back to, you know, somebody tuning into the shows this is their first time engaging with you. What do you really want them to know about you and leave with as they continue to learn from by from adding you to their PLN? Hmm. I got to process that one for a moment. I, I there's, know. A lot, there's a lot of directions that I could go. What do you consider? It's Tuesday so, morning. It's April, right? There's a lot I, of directions you could go. So, so here's here's one. I'll I'll try and model vulnerability in the process because it's not something that. I would say like, wow, from day one of teaching, when I was 21 years old teaching fourth grade, here's something I did really well that you should do too. Like that's not the direction I'm going to go. So let me be totally real and vulnerable to model that and put that out there. So I, I was born into a two-parent home, suburban America, pri primarily a white community um, where I was, and I had what I needed, right? On the first day of school, I would show up in the new outfit. Z Cavaricis back in the day or skids. Remember those? Yeah, I had a pair of just one, but I had a pair of those back in middle school. I had what I needed. My parents always paid my lunch account. So I never really worried about that. I was involved in sports and was able to play some travel teams. Uh, we'd go on vacation once a year. We weren't wealthy or anything by that, but we were, we were middle-class Americans, right? We took one vacation a year. We did our things and I had a pretty comfortable life. And I went to school that my parents paid the vast majority of. So I share all of that to say, when I started teaching my lens, my personal experience, that's what I knew, right? What took me time to understand was so many students walking into my classroom had a very different world, a very different life, a different parent structure, maybe in poverty, maybe with whatever fill in the blank. And for me, it recognized, like, it took me a while, a long time, to be honest, to recognize the students that I'm serving have a very different lens than Tom Murray does. Now, I don't say that out of ego and pride and look what I had in that sense. Because again, we weren't wealthy, but I had what I needed, right? So when I share all of that, part of what I work on now is around equity. I work with the FCC on connectivity. I work, I work with the Senate and Congress on the latest ARP funding and things for home connectivity and all the remote learning. So getting to work now, even federally, at some of those highest levels related to that stuff, here's why I'm passionate about it. I'm passionate about because I've been giving, I've been given certain things in life that I had no decisions to make. It just happened to be where life placed me and the family that they did. And I need to recognize that the lens that I experience, the way that I grew up is very different than those that I served, those that I taught across, sometimes those that, you know, um, those that maybe were bosses or whatever it might be. So here's my question. How do we have empathy for lenses and experiences that we will never experience? So part of it is how do we make sure that we lead with an empathy lens? I gave the example when I talked about my daughter and her severe food allergies earlier. Let me contrast it with this to go back to what I was saying. I can remember when I was a principal, I had a, I had a mom that was a second grader 
the mom came to one time and said, you know, hey, Mr. Murray, we're new to the school. My daughter has some significant food allergies, and uh, I really want to meet with the, the recess aides, those at lunch or teacher. I want to make sure they understand. They want to know, make sure they know how to use an EpiPen. I want and I was like, all right, new principal. I'm like, okay, come on in, mom. Let's go ahead and do it. So then about a year later, mom reaches back out. Hey, I'd like to meet with the third grade team. And I'm thinking like, all right, like you met with half of them last year, but that's fine. We can do it. I'm just being vulnerable. We can do it. Fourth grade comes around and I will tell you, I vulnerably thought like, really, mom, we know we've been through this. We know your kid. We're good <laughs> until it was my child. And I was the parent saying, hey, can we meet with the team? Hey, before the classroom party, can we come in and double check on the field trip? Like then it became me. And so I share that because prior to, I didn't have the experiences of understanding, nor did I have the concept. Like my, my little girl could be, could have been gone about 30 to 40 minutes with some of that time frame that doctors gave before it could be all over for her. When it was my child, I looked at it differently. And so when I look at going back to what I was saying, like Tom Murray's never experienced racism. Like I don't understand how that feels. Some of my best friends have. And so we process, like, how do I learn from their experience? How do I learn from their stories to recognize times in the world where maybe I've said things, said jokes, said comments that I'm thinking, well, I was just kind of funny. Well, no, like I didn't have the experience to understand what the other side of that felt like. And so I share all those as vulnerably as I can to say there's been things throughout my career that I've had to learn, lenses that I've had to try to understand. So part of my connection to that would be seek out people, intentionally seek out people that have different experiences than you, different religions than you, a different skin color than you, a different culture than you, a different background than you, and learn from their experience. And learn to understand, like listen, excuse me, listen to understand. So often we listen to respond, but try to listen to understand. One of my best friends is a guy named Ken Shelton, amazing individual. Ken's a black male, grew up on separate coasts. And one of the things Ken says is, you know, I, I at times had used the phrase like, well, we put somebody else's shoes on to walk in somebody else's shoes. And what I love that Ken says is the problem with that is like, you get to take the shoes off. They don't. And so I've learned so much from somebody like Ken, who can tell me stories with tears in his eyes because of the trust, because of the love we have to share what racism feels like, things he's dealt with, with police, things he's dealt with that like, I've just never experienced. And so part of it is let your guard down to recognize your experience that you have is different from those that you serve. It doesn't mean different is bad or good or better or worse. It's different. So we all have things to learn. So we all have lenses that we can learn to appreciate. You know, so when I look at in the classroom, when I had those things of like, why doesn't this kid bring a pencil every day? Because my mom made sure I had my materials in the morning. Not every kid did. Or when I was that middle school principal having the conversation with a 13 year old girl who I can still picture because she didn't pay her lunch bill for so long. And I'm the person that's trying to say, hey, you got to pay your lunch bill. Here's the form if you can't afford it, but you got to pay your lunch bill because I never worried about that. So it was really easy for me to miss. It was really easy for my blinders based on my own life experience to get in the way of understanding what other people truly needed. And so I share all that to say, can we decenter ourselves enough have humility enough to recognize, to amplify the voices, to amplify the ideas and the thoughts of especially communities of people that have often been unheard, that often haven't had a voice. So just to give you an example, in personal and authentic, I tried to amplify over 100 voices, the vast majority of them diverse voices. My forward is written by a black male, Inky Johnson, a really good friend of mine. Maybe you know, you all know, or you may know the Inky Johnson story. Grew up in complete poverty, 14 people, two-bedroom home, five people in and out of jail to this day, literally grew up with nothing. And so facing adversity each step of the way, part of the reason that I asked him to write my forward is because it's a teacher that saved his life, and he will share that willingly. But his world experience was very different than mine. When I talk about cultural relevance and personal and authentic, I recognize it's not my story to tell. So I reached out to one of my best female friends, Dr. Rosa Perez Isaiah, to say, hey, can you help me with this? Can you help me understand what it's like coming to the United States as an immigrant, not speaking English, growing up in poverty? Because I didn't have that experience, but, but share yours. Or to write the section on equity with Ken and co-author some of those sections. Why? To amplify the voices of people that have had different experiences than me. Why? Because my lens, my experience is one, it doesn't make it right. Just because I wrote it doesn't make it accurate, doesn't make it right. It's just the way I see it right? And to amplify those pieces. So when I'm in our class, when I'm a teacher in a classroom, how do I make sure that every child is heard? How do I make sure every child feels comfortable? 
How do I feel each child has a voice? How do I feel that each child feels respected regardless of their race, regardless of their religion, regardless of any difference that I might have? How do we create that inclusive culture in our classrooms? And I could walk that up to being a principal, to being a superintendent, creating those cultures in our buildings there as well. And so I'll try and model just vulnerability and showing I was pretty clueless as a brand new 21-year-old educator coming out of a private college, right? Again, not that I should feel bad about that. It's just recognizing the world that I was stepping into is dramatically different. And so we naturally make assumptions. We naturally make judgments that are just very different than the way the rest of the world sees it. And so everybody here that's listening has a different life experience, right? But the diversity and those differences when brought together makes us teach better, right? It makes us stronger. It really does. Thomas E. Murray, friends, this is why I love all the, these conversations with you. I always am able to take something valuable away. Always incredible reminders. I really, really appreciate you diving into these stories and being so vulnerable and authentic with the work that you are continuously doing because we're better for it. And I just so appreciate these incredible opportunities, these little moments that people are going crazy about in the comments so far. Just really appreciating these tidbits that we can walk into our Tuesday with. So, sure. Tom, I'm so excited to not end this conversation. We're going to continue forward with it. We're going to get into a few incredible holidays that we can celebrate today, as well as a good news story. And our good news story has to do with food, because I know that that is, uh, I knew that was going to be a theme in our conversation in some regard today. So we're going to keep with this conversation. And as you are tuning in this morning, just as a reminder, this is a great opportunity to continue to add people to your network to help you uh, remember not only to have incredible systems and routines, but to mess them up a little bit and connect with the right people so we can continue to gain perspective through a new lens. So we'll be right back. Good morning. Good morning. Happy Tuesday, April 19th. If you are just tuning in right now, we want to welcome you into an incredible morning, but also remind you to go back and listen to the rest of this conversation after we're done live because Tom, you've been able to share so much insight, so many tidbits of, of reflection and being able to not only share stories of your personal life, but stories of other educators that you are eager to amplify. It's so incredibly valuable. So I appreciate you thus far sharing so many stories and i'm hoping we can continue that as we get into holidays and good news stories you ready let's do it all right so we love celebrating kind of the wacky holidays there's always something to celebrate and one of them i know is uh an interesting one and obviously you know something that i think a lot of people are going to be celebrating it's national garlic day are you a garlic fan uh just a little bit like give me a little bit of that but not too much and don't give too much to the people around me either because then i'm out because it's oozing out of their pores. Right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's also wear pajamas to work day. I'm not sure that I can condone that behavior, but you know, maybe it's PJ day at school. And that's, are you going to wear your PJs to work today? Tom? Being that I'm working from home today, I wear whatever I want. I mean, I've got the sweater up top, not telling you about anything else. Just say, you know, by the way, it's jeans. If you were thinking anything else, like get your mind sure. out of jeans. I saw the coolest thing, Ray, the other day that relates to this. And it's not my idea at all. But I saw, it wasn't educators, but I think this would be great at school. It was wear your Zoom outfit to work day. Oh. So up top, people are all professional, right? They've got the shirt, they've got the tie, and then they've got the pajama pants on. I think that's brilliant. If I was a principal, I was doing that like next week. Wear your Zoom outfit to work day. I thought it was brilliant. Not my idea. Saw it on social media. It's meant to be. I love it. No, that's always the the joke that I have that people are like, oh yeah, Ray, you get up so early, 6 a.m. daily drop-in show. I'm like, guys, I'm in sweatpants and cozy socks right now. Like you have yeah. no idea. That's it. I'm either in a suit standing on a stage or like in sweats. Like yeah. there is no in between, but that's cool. Yeah. I love this normalizing the Zoom outfit. But as we headed to work, if you need to wear something slightly more professional, we totally understand. Please feel free to, you know, meet your contractual obligations. But maybe at some point wearing PJs to work might be appropriate for sure. When I was a principal, I, I do casual days all the time. And it had nothing to do with my teachers. I just hated getting dressed up. Sorry, teachers. Love you. But I, I just wanted to wear jeans too. 
Oh, you know it. Come on. We even had a section in Teachers Deserve It. Teachers deserve to wear jeans. So I don't know that we could go all the way to pajamas, but for sure jeans. Love it. So funny. As our good news story for the day, um, it's interesting that we've been able to reflect so much on your incredible daughter's story. I know there's so much more to her than what you were able to share in this conversation, but I love your your connection to wanting to normalize the human element of not only our education staff, but also our students. There's an interesting article that was just published of five superfoods to improve your memory, your energy, and your focus. And as we look through this um, incredible article, really well written at the today.com, it went into those key ingredients that keep us healthy that you're going to find in common foods. So if you are able to have the luxury of consuming all of these different foods, there's some really good um, reminders here to put good things into our bodies. Some of the things that it includes is dark chocolate, avocados, salmon, chicken, eggs, um, certain styles of toast, um, and then getting into artichokes. I definitely do not put artichokes enough into my body. Tom, do you feel like you try and put good things into your body to get you set for the day or to kind of, you know, recap the day as well? Actually, yes. And it would be at night, starting at night. And that starts with a nice glass of bourbon when needed, or that would be my first thing that just teasing, just teasing. So you're hitting on an area that I'm like, as you're reading that, I'm like, I'm the wrong guest. Like, why is she asking me about that? Uh, here's the reality, right? That's been an area for me to be vulnerable. I've struggled in life at times, especially being on the road, especially driving through the night, especially eating at airports. So that's an area for me, to be honest, that when I have focused on it and I've tried really, really hard, I've done well and I've been intentional about it. But when I just go about my day and my actual routine without shifting, going back to where we started that and being intentional about it, I can fall into really bad habits because I'm always like, I don't have time. I don't have time. I don't have time. I don't want to miss my flight. I don't want to miss my flight. I got to go. So I grab something quick and it's often unhealthy. And so when I look at it, though, it also takes its toll on your body. Right. And we've got to take care of ourselves. We get one of these things in life. We've got to take care of ourselves. So over time, I've tried to make better choices. I've tried to, but I've slipped off that wagon many, many times. So I think it is important for somebody like me that's often on the road and traveling and not sleeping much and driving through the night and doing those kinds of things to make sure that we're making really good choices and the fuel that we give our bodies is really important as well as the rest we get and those kinds of things too. Well, Tom, none of these conversations were to shame anybody, whether you're on screen with us or in the comments or even listening after the fact, just those little reminders, right? You had a reminder for us earlier in the show to take a different path, less traveled in a routine to wake your body up and be really intentional. Maybe one of those things that one of us might try to do is to consider the food that we're putting in our bodies because I am so guilty of it. I just bought two packs of peanut M&Ms to put in my pantry. And when I say two packs, I don't mean the ones you see in the grocery store. I mean like the gallon size bags. So I don't make all the good choices either, but it is good to have the reminder every so often. Yeah, love it. Well, Tom, I do want to make sure our community here can stay connected to you as we wrap up the conversation. I know we shared this earlier. I know you have a lot of content to share out. You shared so much in just this brief hour-long conversation as well. But if everybody here wants to connect with you and hasn't done so already, how can they stay connected? Sure. They're all linked off my website, thomasymurray.com, as is literally a few hundred videos, articles, other resources that I encourage you to check out. You don't need the book for them, especially if you're a principal superintendent, you're running any professional learning, you're doing a workshop. There's lots of videos and things that you can use that I just try and pull together, curate to support you. So thomasymurray.com uh, slash authentic edu. You can find those there. It does go along with personal and authentic, but you don't need a copy for all the resources. I want to make sure you could have all of that uh, just to support the work that you're doing on Twitter at Thomas C. Murray on Instagram and Facebook at Thomas C. Murray edu. So, so important. Friends, as we head into Tuesday, you know that we have our admin mastermind starting here at just the top of the hour and then again later this afternoon. So as you are continuously reflecting on your leadership practices, adding Tom to your PLN, if you've not already done so, please know that there are so many resources and the Teach Better team is so eager to connect you with anybody that can support you in your educational leadership journey. Tom Murray is definitely somebody that we absolutely recommend and love celebrating. So Tom, thank you again so much for waking up early and sharing your stories with us. Thanks so much, Ray. I appreciate the opportunity. Keep leading the way. Ugh, for everyone here, we hope you have an incredible Tuesday. Don't forget to submit your Teach Better conference proposal that closes at the end of the month. And we'll see you again tomorrow morning. See you later, friends.